We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Podcast. This is an interview between True Faith, which is myself, Alex Hurst. Wallace Wilson is also part of this interview. Uh, between us and Gabriel Clark, football journalist and also the co-director and producer of the brand new film released today, Bobby Robson, More Than a Manager. The film is available to purchase through DVD or Blu-ray on Amazon, usual outlets like that. You can also download the film through iTunes or head to a local cinema. There are some select viewings across the country of the film. The film is absolutely brilliant, if I say so myself. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Myself and Wallace really enjoyed this interview with Gabriel, who very passionately uh, talks about why he decided to put this film together, how they went about doing it, and, of course, the various people throughout football that were keen to take part and talk about Sir Bobby's life, both as a man and a manager. Okay, I'll leave you with the interview. Uh, Wallace is going to start us off interviewing Gabriel, and, uh, yeah, please please consider buying the... Um, the DVD or downloading the film if you enjoy it. Uh, a really fantastic project and something which only costs United and I think all football fans will really enjoy. Uh, so Gabriel, how did the film come about? Well, the film came about because um, I'd been researching uh, something on English managers and an idea about what has sort of happened to English managers in the Premier League and the, the, if you like the decline and fall uh, in amongst that research. The statistic came up, Bobby Robson, the last English manager to win a European trophy at club level, 1997. So this was 20 years on in, in 2017, and I thought, well, that's, that's nuts. <laughs> um, and it was from there that I thought, OK, let's do something on, on English managers, the, the decline and fall. But then researching Bobby's story in that year at Barcelona, that one year at Barcelona, when he won a treble against the odds, was essentially um, the stand-in thought that he, he was going to have this dream job for, uh, for, for several years, but all sorts of political machinations were going on. And he had Guardiola there in his team, he had Enrique in his team, he had Jose Mourinho, of course, unknown as his assistant. He signed Ronaldo um, for £20 million, a world record fee. So it was like, right, that season's fantastic. There's something to go at there. And then it was, hang on, I know the archive of Bobby is superb from his Ipswich days behind the scenes. Um, a lot of documentaries done then and it built into no, the real story here is the definitive film about Bobby Robson, it's not Barcelona it's not Ipswich, it's not England, it's not just Newcastle it's the whole thing and the Newcastle element of his story and also his foundation, that element had never been told either on film so we knew as well that we had a, a really great A-list if we could get them all A-list of supporting cast who he's influenced and mentored and being a key part of their lives. So if we got them, then we felt we had a really good feature film documentary, which hopefully is what we've, we've ended up with. But I'll leave you to judge that. 
Yeah, I've seen the film, and congratulations. I'm sure everyone listening to this will definitely watch it, all BD Castle fans, and uh, I advise everyone to, to rent it, buy it, whatever. I think that's one of the questions we'll jump into. How can people see this film? What's the best way for them to get out and access it? Well, I know it's going to have a run in the Tyneside Cinema from right. uh, June the 1st. There's going to be a limited run in the cinema. It's going to be uh, on in cinemas as well for, for fans down in London and Ipswich. Uh, and it, and from June the first, it's on DVD download, so you can you can buy it on iTunes. Uh, there it is, Bobby Robson, more than a manager, and um, it, essentially that is obviously how a lot of film documentaries now come into play. So it's there for you. But but if you can get to a cinema, I'd, I'd advise you if you can to watch it on on the big screen too. <laughs> yeah. How um how easy was it to get all of these guys together? I mean, I may as well well you may as well reel them off the the kind of the cast list for this is almost. I can't think of too many kind of major men in British football, particularly that, that aren't in it, um, from this era. So how easy was it to put all these guys together to talk about Sir Bobby? Well, it was easy, relatively speaking, because they all have been hugely influenced by him, and many of them love him and hold him in in huge esteem. So from Sir Alex Ferguson, mentored by Bobby when uh, Sir Alex was a manager at Aberdeen, that's when they first came into conflict, but also when Bobby first. Um, uh, became friends and, and as I say a mentor to Sir Alex you've got Jose Mourinho Pep Guardiola Ronaldo R9 um, you've got uh, Paul Gascoigne Alan Shearer Gary Lineker they're the A-list and you also have Lady Elsie Robson uh, the woman in Bobby's life speaking for the first time at length about him and his life and about the foundation as well which has given her a new lease of life so exactly right you've got a sort of constellation of stars but in amongst it all, and we were very keen to ensure this happened, you've got the voice of Bobby narrating the film as much as possible. And Terry Butcher, who's the final of the A-list, said that when he watched the film, he felt that Bobby was there back in the room with him because he is such a presence in the film. So that was what we were very keen to do, was to make the most of the vast amount of archive and interviews that Bobby did over, over time. And he did like a camera for the right reasons, he wanted to communicate. Communication was one of his greatest skills and management. And so there's this absolute gold mine of archive which we wanted to mine and at the centre of the film is Bobby. So how, how, is the, uh, how is the film structured then, given that you've got this immense archive? How have you structured it? Yeah, that's a very good question because if you were to go chronologically, you'd probably have a, a five-hour epic. You know, you'd be into a series, but we wanted to make essentially. That sounds like a good idea. It's a very, <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely a possibility. But if you want to make a film documentary, then you you can't te- tell it chronologically, really. So we have to, you have to make choices. So we've structured it from the point when Bobby, without giving too much away, it, just before uh, Bobby jo- joins Barcelona, he is struck down with a malignant melanoma, uh, in his. Um, uh, final season as it was at Porto and that's where the film begins with Bobby being diagnosed in, and he, he tells this in his own words which is very powerful and from that point on we, we shift forward nine months when he gets the job at Barcelona having recovered, beaten cancer again Bobby joins Barcelona follows the legend that is Johan Cruyff and starts his dream job because he he turned it down a couple of times and from there we splinter off into the story of Bobby's life around that and we then come to Newcastle after he's left Barcelona for the final act of the film again splintering off into aspects of his character so um, we're still covering all the big moments Italia 90 The Hand of God Ipswich 
um, and, and Newcastle, as I say. But the Barcelona season, with all its stars and the incredible uh, range of intrigue and stories that you have around that, offers a really good narrative thread from which to explore the other aspects of Bobby's life. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, in terms of the the way that it's all put together then, what was your role? I mean, obviously you were pretty instrumental at the beginning of it. How did you then, how did your role develop as the film went on? Well, I'm the co-director of the film and the writer. So essentially I'm germinating the idea, which I did. I work with another director, a co-director, Torquil Jones, who's more of a producer. So Torquil and I will discuss the archive. He'll research the archive, I'll look at the archive. We'll both look at the archive. I'll do the interviews and I'll research the interviews. So I'll do all the interviews personally. He'll be in the room directing the cameraman. And at that point as well, before before we do our interviews, I always feel it's important, having done a few documentaries now, that you've got an idea of where your narrative is going. So you have in your mind what your story, your structure is going to be. So you're not going to have that long with Pep Guardiola. You're not going to have that long with Sir Alex Ferguson. You're not going to have that long with Paul Gascoigne. So you know exactly what you want to get out of those guys when they're in the room. Um, you get longer with certain interviewees, but that, that's a discipline that comes maybe from doing a lot of football journalism and working in, in the game, is that you know that, you know that half, the, half the job is getting them in the room and then the second half of the job is keeping them in the room. But having said that, with these guys, obviously, they all wanted to speak about Sir Bobby, you know, and... So it wasn't, in that sense, your average, um, your average uh, degree of difficulty. So, yeah, that, that was essentially my role. And then from there, you do your interviews, then you log your interviews, and then you're starting to structure the best of those interviews around Bobby's voice in the archive. But you've got in mind a series of chapters, Acts 1, Acts 2, Act 3, that you're going to work towards. That's the ideal anyway. So who did you start with? In terms of interviews, mm. we started at Ipswich um, last September. We did all our interviews between September 2017 and December 2017. And then the film went into edit. We started with Terry Butcher uh, in Ipswich. Good foundation interview, because you know you're going to get, as long as you want with Terry, a fantastic guy. And we also did uh, Hugh Davis, who was Bobby's uh, surgeon um, throughout his time fighting cancer. So because that element of the story is, is, is hugely powerful. So we started with those two guys in Ipswich. We ended here in Newcastle uh, with Alan Shearer and Sir John Hall. Uh, Sir John Hall obviously hasn't done many interviews at all about Newcastle um, for a long, long time. But when we told him it was about Sir Bobby, yes, I want to do it. And this was after the passing of, of Freddie Shepherd as well, and Freddie obviously would have been someone we would have liked to have spoken to. Mm. Um, so um, it, it was important that we got Sir John Hall uh, to discuss some of the key issues, obviously among them not only Bobby's qualities, what he brought to the club, but why Bobby's time at Newcastle ended uh, as brutally, as Lady Elsie Robson says, as it did. And so we, we, we were obviously keen to put the question as bluntly as possible to Sir John Hall and uh, I hope we've done that. Uh, so we finished then, then we began our edit and then we hadn't done one person, there was one person we were still seeking to do, the busiest man maybe of them all, Pep Guardiola and after continuing and continue, you know, it was an act of perseverance really, he said yeah okay uh, let's do it in February so we did him in February even though we're halfway through the edit and I'm delighted that we did because he, he did a wonderful interview um, I wasn't sure what the connection was between the two of them you know that Bobby and 
Jose, Bobby and Sir Alex, uh, Bobby and Ronaldo and Bobby and Gaza have that strong link. But I wasn't sure about Pep and his interview was brilliant because he talks about the influence Sir Bobby was on him during that one season because Bobby was following Cruyff and because he was under such a particular type of pressure and how he dealt with that pressure, uh, Pep talks wonderfully about. And he also talks about, you know, when he, um, um, they kept in touch and when, when Sir Bobby got the job at Newcastle, he talks about um, ringing Sir Bobby up and saying, I'd like to come to play for Newcastle. And um, Bobby said, no, there's not got too many midfielders now and Pep was getting on a bit at that point. But Pep Guardiola, you know, on another day, uh, could have been a, a Newcastle United player at the end of his, of his career. But um, uh, I think, like I say, Bobby felt he maybe got too many, uh, too many players at that time to accommodate in midfield. But but both of them kept kept in touch uh, throughout uh, uh, the rest of their careers. Well, Gary Spee was a very good player at the time. He wasn't bad, was yeah. he? And you had those legs, didn't you, in midfield? The uh, the Bowyers and the Dyers and. The, there seems to be a real warmth from all, particularly the ex-players, well everybody in fact, but the ex-players or ex-players who played under Sir Bobby all talk about this kind of warmth and pressure relieving skill that he just seemed to have as all this kind of magic that he had, you know, Gaza talks about it, Guardiola talks about it, Ronaldo's probably the best example. Was that something that kind of you had to coax out of them or was that just kind of come naturally from them that they all had this kind of very similar experience of this man even though that they were managed at different points in his career in different countries well, well it's, a, it's a good point because one of the things about Bobby's story is that you know he, he faced crisis quite regularly you know um, maybe not so much at Ipswich but, but with England uh, you know 86 essentially could be losing his job until Lineker scores those, those goals against Poland uh, 1990 is on the brink again uh, Gascoigne comes good then in that incredible season at Barcelona, um, he, he's essentially about to be sacked when they make the comeback of comebacks, thanks to Ronaldo. And I think it was that ability to be at his best when a crisis loomed that all those people you're talking about remember. Uh, and the ability to inspire them, to make them feel good when the pressure was really on, I think was one of the gifts that Robson had. There's some footage of him watching the, and this is original footage, which we, we sourced, which had never been seen before, of an isolated camera on Bobby during the 1990 World Cup semi-final of penalties against Germany. This camera stays on him throughout the penalties, and it's in the film. Uh, and he's the calmest man in the stadium. Everyone around him is, you know, as you, as you would be at that moment, but he is, he's, he's like the swan, you know, he's ice cool. And I think he had that sort of magnetic quality at the hardest moments. Ferguson refers to it, Guardiola refers to it, of being able to cope under the, the toughest of pressure. Um, you really should be broken by it, but Bobby was able to respond to it. Now, some might say, well, Bobby, you shouldn't have got yourself in that mess in the first place. But, you know, that's another story, isn't it? That, that was down to other foibles that he had, maybe. Well, that's the game, too. But that's exactly, I think, what a lot of those guys took from Bobby, like Pep, is that ability to be calm when, when really others would be losing it. I'm just going to save it, just to be sure. Um, what was the most memorable moment for you during the making of the film? That's a tough question. Because I've had the privilege of interviewing a lot of these guys before. And, you know, from Sir Alex to, to Paul Gascoigne to Gary Lineker, 
Um, I'd never interviewed Lady Elsie before, so it was a pleasure to meet her. We obviously dealt with the family uh, and wanted their blessing for this project to begin with and um, went up several times to, to, um, uh, to near Durham where Lady Elsie lives uh, in the village where he grew up still. And um, she's gone back to live there, Langley Park, near Langley Park. And, and so that, that, that was um, fantastic. You know, we, um, it's not every day you interview uh, uh, the nice of a, uh, a lady, as it were, and um, she then makes your tea, makes you a nice lunch afterwards, you know, and uh, she seemed more, con- more concerned with that than uh, the two-hour interview that she'd just done, because it's not a natural thing for her, but she, she did it fa- fantastically well. Uh, so it was a pleasure to meet her. Um, that was definitely a highlight. It was definitely, a, it was definitely great to see Ronaldo and Gascoigne. You know, Paul, Paul has obviously had his troubles. He talks about that in the film. And, um, you know, again, after sort of a bit of perseverance, we, we managed to get him, and, and he wanted, obviously, to contribute to this film. He, he, Bobby kept in touch with him during the hard times. And um, I think Lady Elsie has some degree of communication with him still. So it was great to get Paul involved in the film, albeit briefly. And we did some wonderful filming with him after the interview on a beach nearby the hotel where we interviewed him, which again is part of the film, which I think gives it a real um, sense of uh, uh, fun, life, poignancy, which which no other character really can do. And and I think Bobby would have enjoyed watching those pictures. And and also Ronaldo, you know, Ronaldo lives in Madrid, Ronaldo R9, the one and only Ronaldo, as Jose Mourinho (laughs) refers to him in the film. Cuttingly, and Ronaldo came in. He came to London. We got the rig set up in a hotel in London, um, which he frequents. Uh, he gets around the world still. And it was like one hour late. Okay, we'll ring the agent. Two hours late. Okay, is he coming? I trust these guys. And then he swaggers in. It's a Saturday night, cool as you like. A um, little bit bigger, a little bit you know thicker around the edges now. But what a guy! What a fantastic fellow! truly charismatic I mean could have spent all night there talking about Sir Bobby his English is fantastic and uh, we did bits in Portuguese just so he could get his real point across but a pleasure to meet him an absolute pleasure an absolute an absolute legend and um, so that that hopefully answers your question Mm. I mean, in terms of in terms of Sir Bobby, I mean, obviously, a lot of people remark upon his his ability to to manage people to 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 develop a relationship with them. But there must have been times when he needed to be hard and he needed to be tough in the environment he was working in. Does that come across in the film at all? Definitely, and it was important that it did. Terry Butcher, um, who is in the film. Uh, there's some footage of Robson absolutely destroying Butcher from the Ipswich days, and Butcher was a young player at that time. Camera in the dressing room. They've won the game, okay, they've won the game, and and Robson takes down Butcher for essentially, I think it was trying to play his way out of trouble, you know, getting a little bit ahead of himself. That's a fascinating uh, insight, I think, into the perfectionist that Robson was and that sort of man management because on the flip side of that, there's also a bit from the same season. They've just gone out to Alex Ferguson's Aberdeen, actually, in the UEFA Cup, and they were the holders at that point. In the dressing room, there's Bobby, the most positive man in that dressing room, telling his players, listen, we can go to Mallorca, I'll take you to Mallorca, we can have some sun. Um, so it's those things, you know, being, 
being tough when the players have won, being uh, loving when they've lost. And I think that was the mark of the man. And so it was very important for us to illustrate that. But you're dead right. I mean, there are, there are moments as well when he's talking to the press. We've done a little section and he didn't suffer fools. And if you, I know from personal experience, it's essential that you, you turned up prepared, that you knew what you wanted to talk about. Don't, don't be fooled by this exterior, which can be a, bit, a little bit cuddly. It's not like Sir Alex Ferguson, but he could be as tough as Sir Alex Ferguson if you weren't prepared. And um, no, that definitely comes across in the film. I mean, he was driven, you know, the guy had nothing easy. He was driven, the miner's son. He was driven to succeed, addicted to football, but that, that gave him a, a real sense of ambition no, and a ruthless streak to a degree. He wasn't, he wasn't as ruthless as many, without a shadow of a doubt. He couldn't be. But underneath some of that innocence was an absolute determination that his players would give him everything. And if they gave him everything, they'd be rewarded. Do you think that this film helps maybe... Uh appreciates Bobby a little bit more in terms of the football community because it comes across in the film, particularly from the press, that he had a lot of battles with England, Barcelona and potentially some other clubs and I got the feeling watching the film that he maybe wasn't as appreciated in his own time as he possibly could have been. Does this film kind of help address that, do you think? I think so and I think it's probably true, isn't it, with time anyway, you get a greater sense of somebody's achievements and I think it's, it's coming up for a decade now since Bobby passed. And uh, I think that, that felt to me as well like the right time and also I think to the family for the right time to now do a film. You know, five years, two years, three years would have felt a little bit too soon afterwards because I think it's important sometimes you do have a distance, a perspective. And, you know, he's, he remains the, the last English manager to win a European trophy. His career, I think, in its significance, going abroad. How many managers, English managers, go abroad? Pep Guardiola said to us, you know, more should go abroad. You know, challenge themselves if they want to be at the very top of the game. You know, not, not wait to get that top job. You might have to go abroad to, to prove yourself to a top Premier League chairman now who are, you know, for, obviously from an international base of, uh, of people. So I think um, Bobby's career is gaining in significance in what he did and how he challenged himself. Small club, relatively speaking, in Ipswich, who won a European title. England's most successful manager abroad at a World Cup semi-final. The last great tournament England have been involved in in terms of a World Cup. Wins a treble at Barcelona, wins titles in Europe's top leagues, which they were then. Portugal and Holland were very, very tough leagues. Uh, and then comes back to his boyhood club and takes them from the bottom of the Premier League into the Champions League. It's, it's a heck of a CV when you look at it now. And... In amongst all that, as you say, there were trials and tribulations. There was the battle for the last 15 years against cancer. Uh, so I think as a body of work, without a shadow of a doubt, I think people who watch this film will have a real sense of, of somebody special whose achievements grow and are growing uh, with every uh, passing year. Was there anything that surprised you when you were doing it? The one thing that surprised me was how I knew Bobby was addicted to the game and loved it and it was the love of his life Lady Elsie admits that you know it was the first thing in his life and, I, and it surprised me I think that Bobby um, 
I think, uh, had to sacri- did sacrifice as much as he did in terms of his family time. His son, Mark, who, who's in the film, and Lady Elsie both talk of, uh, poignantly about, I think, how they didn't see enough of, of him because of that. You know, and um, and Bob, there's a quote from Bobby in the film where he, he says, I should have maybe spent more time with my family. And so that surprised me that uh, this such a well-rounded man um, couldn't quite get that balance right. But then it's, it's not an easy balance to get right. It's not easy to get that right, is it, I think. Uh, and... It, he isn't the only one who I think would regard himself as having failed in that sense in terms of an elite manager. But it's poignant and, you know, listen, he, he, he did it because the game was his addiction. Mm. Cool. Oh, so next question uh, would be, in terms of the story revolving, you know, centralising of that Barcelona season, how how easy was it or how much willingness there was there from the the suits at the time, the people above Bobby to, to address that very very difficult situation in terms of Louis van Gaal, him coming in, there seemed to be a little bit of watching the film, there seemed to be a little bit of people not willing to take the blame for it or, or, or kind of people realising maybe these guys, did you get a, a sense from these guys that looking back they felt they'd made the wrong decision? Well, Joanne Gaspar was the um, vice president at the time and just like Sir John Hall, Joanne Gaspar does no interviews. He's essentially, he essentially has left Barcelona behind many years ago. We, we again persevered with his office, and he said to us, listen, when, when, it, when the request came through, it's the film about Bobby Robson, I had to tell my wife, uh, she said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm, I'm just going into town, um, I'm doing an interview for a Bobby Robson film. What, well, Saturday afternoon, you should be here with the kids, the grandkids. No, 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 I have to do this interview. So Joanne Gaspar, who took Bobby to Barcelona, and was a great admirer of Barcelona, was essentially the one who had to tell Bobby that he was losing his job at the end of that tumultuous season. And without a shadow of a doubt, things weren't that clear. And Bobby was um, essentially told by Barcelona, yeah, you've got a two-year contract, you'll see it out. But all the while, Louis van Gaal was being lined up uh, to take the job at the end of that first season. And um, Bobby was maybe a bit naive. You've got to remember that in the January of that season, Kevin Keegan left Newcastle and Sir John Hall and Freddie Shepherd got on a plane and went to Barcelona and Bobby was about to take the job as he says in the film but he he couldn't walk out on that contract he'd been given a two year deal you know he, he, what, what sort of choice have I got here go, go back to my boyhood club the job I've always wanted or, my, or, or the job that the, the, equally there's the second job I've always wanted here at Barcelona and I'm managing some wonderful players. He was loyal to Barcelona. The following week, he loses a league game to the bottom club and essentially is on the brink for the rest of that season. So, um, yeah, there was this, without a shadow of a doubt, these suits at Barcelona um, weren't clear with Bobby. They weren't transparent with him. And um, you, you could say they used him. But Bobby won a treble and he's remembered at Barcelona um, with, with great fondness now. And I think, again, that's increasing as the years go by. But it was very good to try and pin those questions on Joan Gaspar, you know. And I think he feels he, 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 feels he, he did nothing wrong. Uh, the president above him, uh, Jose Luis Nunez, um, uh, well, 
um, I'm struggling to see where he is at the moment. I mean, he's been involved in all sorts of difficulties post his career uh, since leaving Barcelona as the president. But, you know, what was, what was interesting was that uh, Bobby won a treble and Josep Luis Nunez pulled forward the Barcelona elections that year on the back of that treble. They were meant to be the following year, 98. He pulled them forward uh, and was re-elected on the back of Bobby's success. The man that he'd wanted out, essentially six weeks earlier, came up with a treble and the, the president stayed on, even if Bobby didn't. It's almost like a recurring theme, isn't it? I mean, a similar type of thing, or a bit different, happened with England as well, because, you know, going into the 1990 World Cup, he wasn't particularly popular. They struggled in the early group games. Then he came up with a formula which worked. And all of a sudden, England haven't previously decided we're going to dispense with this man at the end of the World Cup, or looking at someone who's gotten to the semi-final with a penalty kick of getting them into the World Cup final. And so, again, looking that sort of that hindsight thing, looking back on it, the people at the FA must be thinking, what have we done? Yeah, that's right. But Bobby had agreed to go to PSV before that World Cup uh, mm. because the FA weren't offering him anything. You know, he waited for the FA to offer him a deal. Nothing was forthcoming. PSV get on the phone and say, listen, Bobby, we've got, we're one of the biggest clubs in Europe. We won the European Cup a year ago. We, we need you to be our new manager. What do you think? And he's gone, OK, I'll take it. The news leaks... He's called a traitor just before, literally, the day before England are due to fly to the World Cup in Italia 90. Uh, he's front page news. And <laughs> the press who've wanted him out, he's now, he's now leaving, are blaming him and saying he's a traitor, which of, course, which of course he wasn't. But you're right, I think again it goes back to that ability to be at his best under pressure um, in that World Cup. And it was incredibly tough the first couple of games with England struggling. And there was, without a shadow of a doubt, a culture at that time that Bob, Bobby really was the first England manager to be um, uh, lambasted, lampooned in, in the press. It became part of the culture, but uh, the circulation war between the tabloids, they realised the value that they could sell newspapers on the back of the England manager and his failure or success. And so everything was, everything was exaggerated and Bobby was in the eye of that particular storm. What he came up with, though, in Italia 90, again, bringing out the very best of himself under pressure, he came up with a, a change in the system and he also had Paul Gascoigne. He had this duel that he was willing to take a risk on. He knew that Gascoigne could offer England something special. He knew that he could manage this young kid better than anyone, understand this fellow Geordie better than anyone. And um, it's great in the film when Gascoigne arrives, sort of halfway through the film. There he is. And, uh, and the Italian 90s story is told because Gascoigne, without a shadow of a doubt, was the difference maker. And, Bo and Bobby was, was able and willing to take the risk on him, which many managers wouldn't have done. There's an argument that that tournament changed football in England as well, isn't there? It did. Yeah, it did. It, it, it's something that um, we... We're perfectly aware of in the film. That was it. That was that was the, the day. That was that was the the summer when English football, post Hillsborough, with all the um, with all the tragedy that had happened in the eighties, it was it was as though maybe the, the the curtain had been opened now onto something that could be better. The Taylor Report was on the way, and you had this optimism as a result of England's success at Italia 90. People now were back in love with 
their national team. They had a focal point in Paul Gascoigne. They had all, some wonderful images of Bobby smiling in Italia 90, which still resonate today. And the game was able to move forward into, of course, what became the Premier League era. And I think that you're right, the broadcasters could see how, how football now could have a real impact on society in a positive sense. They were willing to spend money on it. And um, the Premier League era was triggered uh, as a result in many ways of, of that World Cup and what Bobby achieved. Uh, in terms of making the film, when you brought it back to this city in this area, and obviously we're talking to you now in, in one of the city centre hotels, but we can see the, the ground actually from your window, and I know that you're there tonight. How how much of a feeling did you get from this area for Sir Bobby? And when you were making the film, kind of how much did you realise how much he still means to, to the people that you spoke to, but also people locally? It's been phenomenal. You know, just um, when, when we... Uh, released the uh, uh, publicity ahead of making the film, you know, when we announced that we were making this film, there was a huge response. The biggest response was from Newcastle and um, the fans. And so you immediately got a sense of, we better get this right, <laughs> for, uh, for um, you know, Bobby, in terms of Bobby's, Bobby as a man of the North East and a man who came back to manage his boyhood club. You know, we, we know we can't literally base the film around this particular story and that aspect of his story, but obviously there are key aspects of it. The man, managing here, what he did for Shearer's career, what he did for the club, getting him in the Champions League. Um, the fact that the foundation um, he started, he started here, which has now become an international success in its own right, the Bobby Robson Foundation. So uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's been immense the reaction that we've had from the city and obviously working with Lady Elsie and going to Langley Park and seeing where Bobby grew up and, and the fact that in a way he, he came full circle offered us a wonderful symmetry to the film. We've done some filming that the northeast as an area, the coastline, um, the area around Langley Park features strongly in the, in the film and what we've shot originally because of the beauty and the... Um, the, uh, the fantastic nature of the, what this area offers in terms of visual power. We've done the same in Barcelona. So those, those two areas are real fulcrums for a lot of the original filming, which hopefully gives that the sense of authenticity to the film and will help resonate, because certainly it, it, it captures a lot, the area around here. It, you know, it's, um, and when you talk to people, it's without a shadow of a doubt, Bobby is an absolute hero for this for this region and um, we're really grateful for the interest, the passion uh, that the fans here have shown and, and uh, I hope that every Newcastle fan who watches it, um, it enjoys the film half as much as I enjoyed making it. Gabriel Clark, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.